Yeah, what is going on, everybody? We are back with another episode of From My Experience Podcast. I am your most beloved host, Rob. <laughs> I hope everyone out there is doing well. I am rolling solo on a special interview today. But before we get to that, y'all know I want to give y'all a huge thank you. Thank you so much to all of our supporters and all of our followers. I'm seeing activity on Instagram pick up. I'm seeing the group activity pick up. Um, more people are hitting me up on a personal tip and let me know I'm doing a good job. And I really appreciate that. That keeps me motivated and helps keep the show rolling. Y'all already know FME underscore podcast on Instagram to follow us. If you have a question or if you want to be a guest or you know someone that wants to be a guest or have us recommend a guest, FME podcast one at gmail.com. All of this stuff will be in the description, but y'all know I like to hit y'all up. I am actually back to work now. Um, it's been interesting and being virtual is going to be very interesting for what I do. I'm looking forward to some parts of it and some parts I'm not, I'm not going to lie, but we all got to make these adjustments. We all got to push through and move forward. This is the new norm for now. And we've been through a lot these past few months and we're going to keep on trucking. So I want to keep the energy high and things on a positive note. So <clears throat> excuse me if I get a little emotional. So those of you who are loyal listeners know that on every episode, I tell y'all how you can contact us, you know, Instagram, the Facebook group, email, right? So I want to say this was last week. Yo, this past weekend, I get an email from someone saying that they've listened to the show, they were inspired by an episode, and that they would like to be a guest. And I said, oh! You know why I said, oh, because no one ever does that. She is actually the very first person to email us and reach out and say, hey, I would like to be a guest on the show. Let me tell you some things about me. And I read up on her a little bit and I was like, oh, yeah, her story needs to be on here. She could definitely help motivate a lot of people. So I definitely wanted to bring her on. Uh, this is a strong woman. I must, I must say, and I definitely have some interesting, um, questions for her. And I definitely want to know a little bit more about a, a very, um, what seemed to be a very, could have been potentially dangerous situation. She, she probably smiling cause you probably know what I'm talking about. Um, but we'll get to that. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, I need to introduce the assistant volleyball coach at Prairie View A&M, the founder of Grit and Grind Athletics, and the author of the book, Grateful and Greedy, Challenging and Redefining What It Means to Win in Life. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Tamika Newman. Woo! Awesome, that's a great introduction, thank you. Thank you, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you again for reaching out that um, you will always be remembered and you will always be a very, very special guest. I have to put your name on my little, my board over here. You're the first person to reach out. <laughs> so that means I must've been doing something right because you were comfortable enough to email my crazy behind and say you wanted to be on. So I appreciate that. I am, I'm shocked. Uh, I enjoy the content. It, it's, uh, it's just like, you know, conversating with my friends 
Um, so I'm shocked that I'm the first, but I'm excited. I love winning and I, I'm first. So <laughs> yeah, you won that one. So yeah, I, I did. I love winning. <laughs> so let's get right into this. Um, just looking at your questionnaire and pulling some things off of it, where would you say that your journey began? You know, you talk about, I mean, looking at the title of your book, you know, and challenging and redefining what it means to win at life. So let's talk about, let's start at the beginning, a young Tamika. Where did it all start for you? Uh, well, uh, I have a terrible memory and I really only truly remember age eight, but before age eight, about age three or four, uh, me and my two brothers were taken from my mom by Child Protective Services. My mom struggled with addiction uh, for multiple reasons. And we went to live with my grandmother. And um, so I don't remember a lot, but going into a packed house, some of my younger aunts and uncles were still at home in high school. Some of my cousins lived there as well. But about eight is when I really remember things about myself as a kid. And I remember really reading I remember reading a lot because my grandparents were like, there's no such thing as being bored. So my grandfather bought us, and he only had an eighth grade education, but we had like multiple volumes of encyclopedias. So whenever I go tell my grandmother that I was bored, she'd say, go pick up a book, you know, or go find something to clean up. So um, she did not believe in bored when I was a kid. And it probably what started me to being a taskmaster and a busy bee. Because, <laughs> and even now I'm like, I have nothing to do. Oh no, you got something to do. <laughs> um, about uh, 12, I really got into sports. Um, just my brothers did it. Mm -hmm. Wanted to get out of the house. Uh, probably avoid a little bit of cleaning up because we cleaned up all day on Saturdays. Um, started kind of picking up a basketball, 2000, 2000, uh, by the time I was 13, the WNBA started, fell completely in love with women's basketball. Um, and then started to think about college and, um, by now was heading to middle school. Okay. I want to try out sports. I had a cousin, a couple of cousins who played sports. So had a little exposure to it there, but not much, um, and so my grandmother actually, the very first time I tried to play basketball, it was a co-ed tournament. My brothers and I signed up through a church league. Nice. She, went, she went to pay registration for them, saw me on there, totally flipped out. Um, just did not believe basketball was for girls. Hmm. Um, I, I didn't wear pants or shorts till eight. So I was on the playground in a skirt, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, she paid because she was kind of embarrassed that everybody knew I was apparently in the basketball and she didn't know. Um, went through middle school. I was I was probably this height in eighth grade. Wasn't very comfortable with it because the boys hadn't hit a growth spurt yet. So I was taller than all the boys. Y'all always talk. Y'all, I remember those days. The girls, yeah. y'all tear us up. Y'all always so much bigger than us. Yeah, yeah. So I was five eight and a half in eighth grade. Um, not very good. You know, no one was working with me on sports. Mm -hmm. Terrible. But seventh grade, really terrible. Eighth grade got better. Started to take it really serious and started trying to just find a way 
to get in some reps anywhere I could. So we had a local basketball court. I was the only girl. Um, We had summer conditioning at the school, but really only boys went. Um, So I walked the mile from our neighborhood and went up there on my own and just kind of lingered in the background and did a little of this, did a little of that. Um, end up meeting uh, what's, who's my best friend to, to this day. Her dad was taking her to different things, different leagues and open gyms. Mm-hmm. And he took a liking to me and let me ride around with him. You know, he let me hang out. So I remember going to open gyms at Rice University and University of Houston. And he formed a little neighborhood AU team for us. Wow. Um, yeah. And, you know, took us to play. And then it went from just me working out in the summer to she joined me. And so she ended up being my teammate in volleyball, teammate in basketball. We're at a school that the athletic, um, uh, the athletic, athletics had gone down on the girls' side, especially. Mm -hmm. And so we resurrected that, went to the playoffs in volleyball and basketball for the first time in like 20 years for basketball. Y'all brought it back. (laughs) Like, yeah, maybe 20 years. Uh, and then volleyball was like 13 or something like that. Um, wow. And uh, didn't have a lot of resources, did not understand the college process, and, and no one really showed me. Um, a coach that used to work at Prairie View who was coaching high school saw me, told the Prairie View coaches about me. The basketball coach called me first, and I had this wild imagination that I could do both. I, I really did. Even okay. though I got to both late, I, I got pretty good in a very fast amount of time. I said, I'm going to do both. You know, when I had did, when, people. Go when, ahead. Would you, when would you say you got good at, I guess, basketball and volleyball? Basketball uh, sooner. Um, Maybe high school or the end of middle school? Both high school, like 10th grade. Okay. 10th grade when I really was confident in myself and um, probably when I just gained some confidence with being the tallest person and understood how to use my height. Um, so before, just really, really passive, you know, the tallest person, but just pass, super passive. Um, so our school wasn't good. So I was on varsity by 10th grade on both. And it was like, okay, you're going to sink or swim, right? Right. Yeah. So um, Prairie, only two schools told me I could play both sports. And there was a small school in Central Texas, and there was Prairie View. Um, I had great grades. Uh, Prairie View didn't have the best name Mm -hmm. uh, in in the neighborhoods and in the Houston area, didn't have the best name. Um, The football team, I think they hadn't won a game in like a couple years. ESPN ran a special on it. It was like a hundred game losing streak. Um, I think uh, it just didn't have the best name. So I was, you know, I was a little concerned that I, Academically, I could have gone to a more, what I thought, prestigious school at the time. But my grandmother gave me her blessing that free education was free education. I went to Prairie View to play both sports. Uh, Totally underestimated what it was going to take mentally to do that. And only ended up doing basketball two years. Um, I quit the second season um, over Christmas break, just completely overwhelmed. And then volleyball did four years and ended up having an amazing volleyball career. Um, way more than I could have imagined, especially since I got to sports so late. What, what um, first of all, shout out HBCUs. Hey! Nice! I also went to HBCU. I went to Claflin University in Orangeburg, South Carolina. 
Well, I've heard of it. Really? Yeah. yeah. We on the map. Yeah, I've heard of almost all of them. I made it my business to know. <laughs> good. That's good. More of us need to do that. Now, you said you quit basketball because you were overwhelmed. Well, I have two questions for you. What were you overwhelmed with? Um, I went into basketball with an injury lingered from volleyball. Uh -huh. And we had a new coach. We had uh, NBA, I mean, Women's Basketball Hall of Fame coach, WNBA Hall of Fame coach, Cynthia Cooper. Mm. Mm. She, and she was, um, you know, just finished playing. Uh, I think she had a coaching stint one year. Super competitive person. Um, she uh, just very, very aggressive. Uh, she had no tact at the time. Very demanding, very no excuses. Um, and I think I just didn't come in 100%. And I, I initially was living up to her standards. Then I wasn't. Um, I was suffering a little bit of depression. I, I don't know. I had laser focus so long. And something about that December, uh, you just playing basketball, too. You're at school a whole month while everybody else goes home. And you literally travel and play basketball over the entire Christmas break. Ooh. It dawned on me just how family-oriented I was because we actually missed the holidays. Um, my grandmother, my grandfather, who helped my grandmother raise me, passed the summer before, and my grandmother was super depressed, so she was calling me every day. I felt really bad um, yeah. not being there. So all of that stuff, and then uh, just my passion for it, I said, okay, I could see myself. I could finally see myself being good or giving this up, because it's all I ever wanted to do. I was going to be a basketball player. Right. So, uh, just just the load of school and life. I said, well, I'm done. And I was doing well in volleyball. I knew that I would probably be able to to, to do well in that if I gave it all my focus. And, and that's what happened. Yeah, I, I, I had another guest on here. Um, and we were both talking about how just, it's like when you get to college, everything happens. My dad was sick when I was in college. Her mom was sick um while she was in college like i mean just so much stuff happens when you're in college and you're so young you're so young and you're not used to dealing with all these pressures and i know what you mean about that guilt like i my dad lived in philadelphia and i thought about moving back and going to school up there because i'm like bro like i'm in south carolina you in pennsylvania like you're like eight hours away from me i can't do anything for you so i definitely know those feelings um so I also saw that you referred to yourself as an overachiever. So when did you realize this about yourself? That's a very good thing to realize and recognize about yourself, by the way. Probably elementary school. You know, if we had to write a paper, mine had to be the longest. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you were that kid. You know, if we if we if the teacher was taking and you know, asking questions and we had a chance to answer, I was the most long-winded, you know. Mm -hmm. In the Easter program, if, if somebody, if the kids my age got two paragraphs in their speech, I had to get a whole page. Yeah. Uh, and my grandmother encouraged it. She encouraged me to do a lot of different things and she encouraged me to have the longest part, the best part, the most parts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, uh, and then it carried on into to adulthood and even me wanting to play both sports. You know, I didn't even have a blueprint of somebody going to play one 
in my life. Right. You know, I didn't know what that looked like. And I went and went, I'm going to do two. I'm going to do two. I'll take two. <laughs> <laughs> and you did that. Uh, and then when I got to be a coach, you know, the hours, the hours, I, I was never um, satisfied that I had worked enough, that I knew enough. It was like, it's something else out there I, sh I should know. I got to know it. And then the amount of things I take on at one time, it's like I'm working on two big things and, you know, there's something else that catches mine. I'm like, I could add this third thing. Uh, so it, it's been a blessing and a bit of a curse. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to modify that a little bit now. <laughs> I feel you on that. I, I've learned to definitely do that. Um, I've learned to keep parts of my plate clear just for my own uh, personal peace. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there so you go. I know exactly how you feel. Now, you talked about something I would definitely want to get into um, because we share a commonality here. Um, you were, you said you were a volleyball coach at some predominantly white schools. I was. So I was a volleyball coach for about 10 years. I started charter and then I did private and then I did three different high schools and they were diverse. Most of them volleyball was majority white. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I coached travel ball for 12 years and my travel ball teams were almost exclusively white. A few times I had maybe one Hispanic, maybe one African-American or uh just some of African descent. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I've coached majority uh, at white, majority white schools. And it, it's an experience. It's a whole book. <laughs> it's, it's a book by itself. I, I'm not kidding. Yeah. It is a book by itself. It, it, and as a young, ambitious person, hey, I love volleyball. I want to get into it. It never even dawned on me that volleyball was seen as a, you know, whites dominated. You know, I definitely knew more whites had access to playing early. But when I decided I wanted to go be a head coach, it never dawned on me that it was a little bit unacceptable for me to believe I could go to Great Heights coaching volleyball. Even at the high school level, we're not talking about college. We know right. there's hardly any black female division one coaches outside of HBCU. There's hardly any, I mean, literally probably 10 or less, but I had no clue at 25 that, Ooh, well, yeah. the interview process showed me that. When I started to interview- You got looks? To be a head coach. So I coached one year as an assistant when I went to public school. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I was a junior varsity coach and a coach from a small town outside of Houston we played them at a tournament and she didn't shake my hand. We beat them. She just walked off. Huh. So I'm like, is it a figment of my imagination? So I'm at the time I'm working for a white head coach, amazing guy. We they come to our school to play. We beat them again, the JV. She doesn't shake, she shakes my head coach's hand, who's just kind of mingling around the score table, right. coming to congratulate me. And she turns and walks away. And I tell him, and Every single school I went to, I was the first black volleyball coach. Mm. Some, the first black female on the entire staff. Wow. Um, everywhere. Even the schools that were more diverse, there were a lot of black and brown kids. Basketball coach was always a white woman. Wow. Some of the places it was a white track, you would get a black coach to do track. But so I said, okay, I did really well as JV. I had been a travel coach. 
Um, women can move up faster than men because women get out of it sooner than men. Women will have kids, and when their kids get to a certain age, they'll give up coaching to go raise their kids. Mm -hmm. So it has a high turnover. You can be a head coach sooner than, say, a football coach in Texas. So I was like, I'm a, I want to be a head coach, you know, and I, I'm, I'm crazy ambitious. I'm like, I can do it. You know, people are looking at me crazy. I went on seven interviews. The first three, the first three, the coach called me back, which I usually would interview with the principal or the head football coach. If it was a small town, the head football coach was actually the athletic director. They take me around and I, I actually interviewed about at least 100 miles outside of Houston. I said, OK, I'm willing to move. I don't have any kids. First three coaches call me back raving. Coach, you were amazing. I loved you. Hey, we're going to go in a different direction for volleyball. But would you like to come be an assistant basketball track coach? Mm. I was like, oh, wait, I'm not supposed to be trying to get into this, into this like this. And it, I was like, whoa. And they're trying, to lock, they're like trying to lock you out. Yes. And in Houston, there was about three in the suburban areas. Inner city, there's a lot. In the suburban areas, I could recognize the three. When I saw them somewhere, we knew each other. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It was very, very few. And now there's a ton. But um, I was super discouraged. And, and the first time, I don't think I even understood the gravity of it. And then it happened again, and I was just disappointed. Like, and then the third time, I was like, oh, wait a minute. Like, this is, this is, you know what I mean? Like, I'm doing something here, applying for these jobs. This is not supposed to be happening. And then that, that fueled me. And I just kept applying, kept applying. And I applied for a JV, I finally gave in. I applied for a JV job junior varsity job at a really good school district. Mm -hmm. And that I interviewed by a middle-aged white lady. And she calls me back two days later and said, hey, she was at an affluent school, mostly white. Hey, there's a school school in our district. They're looking for a head coach. You'll be perfect. Do you mind if I recommend you? Wow. And yeah. And she recommended me. I met with the principal, the AD of the school, and uh, I got the job. And the first year we went 30 and eight. I had a six-two left-handed stud on that team who was a senior. Uh, I had some amazing kids. I had a kid go on the Fisk and be class president and she's in med school and all this great stuff. Um, the six-two kid ended up playing at Rice, playing on the college national team. I really walked into a gold mine and I went 30 and eight. And uh, it was like, this can't get any better. And I was just, you know, and then the next year we weren't as good. And that's when the real true colors came out. And so, so before you get into that, first of all, I want to thank you for sticking with it and sticking it out. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to go into a whole race rant thing, uh -huh. but some people just don't understand how hard it is when before you even, even open your mouth, or can even talk to someone about what you're capable of, they see your skin color and you're already at a disadvantage. Something that you are born with. I'm born this way. And I'm at a disadvantage because of your preconceived notions about me. And it sucks. Um, and that's why I said we share something in common. Uh, I'm in the education field too, so I know what it's like being one of two or the only black person in an entire building or mm -hmm. the only black teacher 
And it's just the, the looks you get, the questions that they ask, the things that they think until you speak to them and say, hey, we're all not like this. Don't believe what you see in video games and TV. Like, I'm a mm -hmm. person. Like, I, I think like you think. I We have some things in common, you know. Um, and those experiences, man, I'll never forget those experiences. And they'll be something I pass down to my churn when, when and if I have them. Um, but I really want to thank you for being strong enough to blaze a trail the way that you did. And you kicked down the door. Like, no, I'm going to keep applying. No, I want this position. And you kept going for the position that you wanted. And God gave you that position. So I want to definitely give you some flowers for that. Thank you. Looking back, I don't know. I don't know that I... I would have did it as long. I would have definitely, you know, did it, you know, went went through with my thought, hey, I want to be a head coach and I be, want to be it right now. I think I stayed in it about two or three years too long, um, you know, mm -hmm. and the, the PTSD from it is is real. Wow. You know, there, there were times and I, you know, I was suffering from the imposter syndrome, like maybe they're right. Maybe I'm not supposed to be doing this. But with that, I took that and I said, I'm going to be the best coach there is. And so I'm heavy on professional development. Um, so I coach volleyball like August to November. November to, to May, I coach travel ball. And I coached every age. I would go back and coach 10-year-olds for six months so I could go back and see um, what happens. Developmentally. Learning it yep. to when I get them. And, and that that helped me so much. And I, I can literally, I can help kids get better faster because I chose to do that. Most people are like, I don't have the patience to go work with 10 year olds. I could see exactly the point when a kid, um, you know, started to develop maybe like an attitude or I could see um, how they understood stuff. I learned motor skills and, and just how to break things down. Um, so I did that all summer. I would travel and work college college camps. I would go work University of Texas, LSU, um, and then here in the city, Rise, Texas Southern, and go to clinics. On Christmas break every year, I'd go to a clinic wherever it was being held. Five days of our two-week Christmas break, I would spend learning. And on top of all the online courses and stuff I got access to. Wow. So it's like, okay, you think I shouldn't be here? Um, I'm going to show you I should be here, and I know just as much as my white counterparts. Um, so over those years, I was able to get a lot done with not-so-talented teams. You know, every team wasn't as talented as that first one. Right. right. Um, I ended up getting a few more talented, but overall, our school, we had a huge gap. We had kids super talented. We had kids that started volleyball really, really late. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I really had to develop a method so that you know, I, I could get us everybody to here without losing the kids here and them trying to transfer and them getting bored. So it took a great deal of research and trial and error to come up with a way to get everybody on board. And that, that school, I stayed there five years and we were able to do tremendous things. I mean, I don't think any, I, in five years, we probably pumped out 13 scholarships. It, it was unreal. Every year we had two or three girls going to places like Rice, um, Stephen F. Austin, some small junior colleges, some Division II great academic schools, um, and they were the brightest kids in the school, smartest kids in the school. But 
I had a great deal of anxiety because when you're dealing with 50 parents, and, um, nothing you did, you know, everything you did was, you know, someone hated everything you did. You couldn't please them all. It was like, if I talk to the newspaper about two kids, you know, why didn't you talk about my kid? Or my travel coach is playing my daughter here and says, this is where she can go to college. Why aren't you playing her there? Um, and then, you know, the things that were personal attacks, you know, that um, just trying to create a narrative, you know, uh, why doesn't Coach Newman smile? Oh things God. that nobody goes to ask the white football coach or the, the white basketball, women's basketball coach who has an all-black girls basketball team and she is dog-cussing them because they're not hustling back on defense. What? And someone's asking me, who wouldn't dare curse, I recognize that early on, and I don't need to curse the coach. I had better not curse because they're already looking for a reason to, to uh, give. I about to say, already looking for a reason. You can't. And sitting in meetings and, and another adult a few years older than me worrying about how I smile or if I smile or how many times, you know, ridiculous things in meetings. Um, so, or a coach telling me my daughter's been playing for five years. I don't think it's a lot a coach can tell her and the kid's 16, you know? Wow. Oh, that you know, just ways to tell you 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 really don't know what you're talking about, and we don't really need you. Just stand up there and smile. The undermining <laughs> is, you know, I that's why I really, I really love and adore black women because you know, women in general have already been through so much. But then when you add in the fact that you are black, it just like quadruples everything, and it's it's crazy because. The stuff you're talking about, I've never, I never go through it. Never. Like, I get the opposite. Like, they're standoffish because I guess because of what they think and assume, they don't come at me any kind of way. And kids typically gravitate towards me. They love me. So they, they're telling all their parents all these wonderful things. But I just hate to see that. It's like, why can't other people in the field of education and coaching who look like me, you know, male or female, why can't they get that same respect? Why can't you treat me as an adult. Don't talk to me any kind of way. You know, don't worry about if I'm smiling. Maybe I'm intimidating the other side. You don't know. But you know, have a conversation. Yeah. Have an adult conversation with me. Get to know me. I am a person. Don't just come at me any kind of way. That just really, ugh, that just pisses me off just thinking about it. Because I could imagine some of the things that were going on. And I'm going to talk to you about, you know, that last year in teaching. You mentioned something. But I want to let you finish what you were, what you were saying. Uh, it, it, yeah, so uh, dealt with a whole lot of, um, a lot of nothingness, you know, like I said, we went, we'd go 30 and 8, we'd go 20 and 15, we'd go, uh, I ended that school 30 and 8, and again, we had several Division One players, studs on that team, we were super talented. Um, every year, it was something, and I started to look at my colleagues and you know, I would go and watch. I'm a huge sports fan, so I'd go watch every single sport. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at coaches, and I'm looking at, you know, nobody's dissecting coach pouting, you know, on the sideline when they lose or all things I would dare do. The bar was set so high for me, and they didn't even have to tell me everything was on the bar. I just knew, and I had a great deal of pride, so I didn't do certain stuff anyway that I couldn't do it. I remember I hired a, a young lady 
and she had a pretty healthy backside. You know, she did. Mm -hmm. The only black coaches in the district never had a rule about what we wore. Oh, God. And, and I actually overdressed. Uh, I wore Sunday's best on the sideline. My white counterparts just threw on something. They of did. They, whatever, right? I overdressed. I was known for that. But on tournaments, we wear tights, a pullover, sweater, uh, whatever. All of a sudden, my JV coach plays a little tournament, takes her team. I don't attend. I get an email that we can no longer wear capri tights um, out of nowhere. Hmm. And this was this 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 was standard uniform for some of the other coaches. I, I dress it up and wear the full workout suit, warm up suit, old school coaches, you know, full deal. And uh, and and I knew it was directly related to the fact that um, she and I both were of bigger stature. Um, you know, some of the things were just a little more accented with you know obvious and bigger on us. Right. It was it was ugly because when it came out, everybody knew it was for us. And and it's it's nobody for you to talk to this stuff about. You know how you just said it never happens to you. Yeah. So there was yeah. black males on the staff I was good friends with, and 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 every time there be something, they just kind of shake their head. And after a while, I could see them giving me a look like maybe you're making this up, or maybe no. you change you, or. It, it's not a big deal. I can't remember that. And, I, and I'm not mad at them. I'm still their friend to this day. They've been able to see over the years the difference of the coaches who came behind me who were like poor work ethic, very little knowledge, definitely must have knew somebody on the inside, kind of just getting a check. They could see the difference and no one was paying attention. And I really almost killed myself. I literally, I literally oh, did. Wow. Um, uh, so... That school happened, and I uh, I had a daughter my last year at that school, and it took the uh, beginning of our season. We were 14-0, and 0, mm -hmm. and I got a call into the office, and the higher-ups were asking me questions. We had just come out of out-of-town tournament. I took my daughter, my mom, and my niece. They rode in a car behind the school bus, and I periodically got off the bus when we made stops and rode with them. Okay. Great weekend. We went, we were like 14 and 0. I get called in and they are talking around issues. You know, what are your team rules? What are you, nothing clear. What? Nothing clear. Um, you know, what's going on? What do you think is this? And then they asked me about my daughter and my, they asked me, they, they didn't, they couldn't say nothing about me bringing them. They asked me about, very petty, getting off the bus. That's the policy. You got to ride it the whole way. Okay. Mine, when I was going to have my daughter, a really good friend of mine at another district, I asked her, man, how do you manage parenthood with coaching? She said, I never ride the bus. I leave after school, I go get my baby and I meet us, I meet the team over there. I go, I don't, there's no other way. No one can get my, my daughter. And then right. she just hangs out. So I'm like, cool, great, I can do that. And I had also witnessed other coaches who possibly gotta go get their kid from school, gotta go switch cars with their wife, whatever. Of course. Of course. Yes. Um, I don't say anything. I just look tears kind of well in my eyes. And I realized at that point that number one, I had a real fear that when I got pregnant and wasn't married, that they would find some way to force me out like I wasn't a great example. Right. Yeah. I feared yeah. that. And I knew they wouldn't say it, right? Of course, that's, not. of course not. Wrong. They're, ne they're never direct. 
And I felt that my principal said, I just think you got a lot going on. Let's just make sure that you're whatever, whatever. He says something and it, it, it and I am like, you know, I would have really fought that with HR um, when I was a little, if I was this age, I would have fought it. Cause what he said was definitely like, um, definitely he, he was alluding to the fact that he knew I wasn't married and I, I, uh, I had had a daughter and I was taking care of my niece. She was having a difficult time. She was 13. I took her in and she went to the middle school across the street. I was extremely overwhelmed and tired, uh -huh. um, but it had to be done. Uh, so after that, I coached the rest of the season. Um, I knew that I was done there. Uh, that I, I had rushed back to get us prepared for the season, bringing my daughter to the weight room with us every day in the summer. Uh, it was no doubt in my mind that I was done there. And I knew we would do well. And I knew we were going to do well another few years. So we went 30 and 8, and I resigned. And I chose not to fight them like I could have because my resume was amazing. What I did there, I knew I could get another job, and I did. And I took another job, and I got to a school that was low-income, low not expected to do well. Uh, I was excited about it because that's where I thrive. Right. Uh, but it was so many challenges. Um, a more affluent school that uh, I got offered the job, but it didn't match up with my teaching field, it opened again. So okay. I thought, oh, God's trying to tell me to go there. So that this is the story. Yes. So <laughs> this is the story. I was, um, again, oh, okay. so you had to file an uh, order of protection against some parents. I did. I, did. I went to school and uh, against my better judgment, mm. I decided that. I would try to end on a winning note. And so a pretty prominent school offered me a job. They offered me a job two years in a row. Um, wow. Like I said, they, they worked it out that second year. So I left that, that one school after just one year, I left. And I get to the school and I accept the job and I get a phone call. Uh, I get a DM on Twitter. A week later, no one knows I got the job. They told me, you know, don't say anything till you sign on the dotted line. Uh -huh. And there's a DM on Twitter from a local, from a school in a neighboring district. And it's the volleyball account. So I'm nervous to respond who's running the volleyball account. And it says, Coach, Coach Newman, is this you? Did you get the, did you take the job at, uh, I don't respond. I sit on it and I go back. And I, I go, I go do some research. I see their head coach is a black woman. And I, I've got this inkling like, hey, and she's in a district where she's one of only a few. Right. I start doing some research. The coach, the coach before her daughter goes to the school I've just agreed to coach at. I start to realize there's a connection. Let me see what's going on. Uh -huh. The lady's like, hey, can I call you? I say, is this Coach T? She's like, yes. Oh, and God. she's like, I pause for another day. Can I call you? I'm like, sure. The lady calls me and she's literally wasting no time. She said, hey, listen, where you're going, they have a lot of problems. They swept them under the rug. You, you're going to be the first black woman coach there, period. She's like, and you're going there to deal with the most evil, toxic parent ever. And I know because I replaced her here and she's my actual boss. Ooh. The lady out of coaching became the, the girls athletic coordinator supervisor and hired that girl and then literally went on to harass her every year so she goes coach 
can you get your other job back? She went, what? Like, no. I resigned and they hired somebody right after me. She told you that you need to go back and get your other she job did. because it was that bad. Yes, she did. And, and I was like, literally, I can't do this. Like, I, I just, I'm like, I can't do this. I left a situation that was bad. I had no idea what I was in for. So I get there. These kids are fluent. These kids are driving Audis, Mercedes. Like, they put my little car to shame. Like, this parking lot. We're, we're across the street from a neighborhood with half-million-dollar homes, okay? Mm -hmm. So I get there. And the deal with, with, with kids in affluent areas is that Black kids are conditioned to believe that quality volleyball is coached by whites too. Mm. And they are. They're, they're impressionable and they, they, they've never had a black volleyball coach. They've never seen it. And it's foreign to them. And they literally jump on the bandwagon that, you know, and I didn't go to Texas or AM. I went to Prairie View, which they totally ill. Prairie View, right? Oh, um, literally, some of the Black and brown kids were just as bad. Mm. The only thing I can tell you was black and brown kids, they literally don't have the power to torment you the way that some other kids can. Right. They, don't, they don't have the connections, you know, they don't know somebody at the main central office. And so it usually never goes past them being a little defiant or questioning your coaching. Yeah. Um, the politics but, are crazy in the education. I was just I, I tell people yeah. that all the time, um, especially when you're black in the education field. Y'all people don't understand. People live next door to the principal and have drinks with them. They know people like these. Some of these people grew up together. That's what people don't understand. Is it's it can be yeah. very. It's a very rough road to navigate at times. In between between three teams, freshman JV and varsity, about 48, 50 kids. There was about seven parents that worked in the school Ooh. district. Ugh. Yes. So they know any and everybody, and they all up in you. So you under the, the you not even you not even under a microscope. You under a telescope. Yes. It, it was like every single thing was scrutinized. It was it was awful. It was literally. I was like, God, I I, I could have sworn. Did I hear you wrong? <laughs> <laughs> really, really, I was like, there's no way I could have done this to myself. Like, right. I literally walked into this, but I was chasing winning. I want to roll, go out as a winner. Yeah. I want to go out as a winner, roll into a sports administration job. That was going to be the win for me. And then go watch my daughter do her stuff, you know, just in time for her to get into sports. That was going to be winning for me. I literally did not consider that that first job almost killed me. I left with a great deal of anxiety. Um, but I was like, just, I can do this for two or three more years. And that, that was, I was so misguided with that. Like it was a horrible yeah. idea. And, um, and my safe, literally, literally unsafe. Um, so that year we went, uh, I think we were about seven and 14 and someone wrote an anonymous letter. The anonymous letter called me incompetent. It criticized the football coach who they hated, who had been losing for like 10 years it criticized him for hiring me. It asked for an IQ test. What? Um, it was very, very personal. Uh, I was devastated. They got into the, these kids that grew up together. And like I said, their parents worked in the district. They mailed the letter to kids' actual homes on the team, the lady, wow. whoever did it. And they mailed it to the superintendent, the principal. They sent it to the school and they sent it to me. 
Um, I was just blown away. The, the week before, someone wrote a letter calling my JV coach a bully. Um, and we were like, okay, she's not a bully. Like, And she happened to be the female athletic director. She ended up being on my staff as an assistant mm. because I couldn't hire anybody. So that was a conflict of interest anyway. My boss was underneath me. Yeah. Was another reason. You know, they didn't tell me that till I'd already signed, which I definitely wouldn't have gone along. You know, that, that starts out being That's an issue. That's weird, yeah. Because I can't really, you know, kind of talk to you about some expectations I have because you're really over me. So the letter goes out and then things start to happen. Kids, you can see kids kind of throwing the game. Oh, Literally. my God. Yes. You, I had never seen that in my life for a kid that wants to go to college. Um, and then the principal, he's like, coach, we interviewed them. You don't even curse. Like I've been, you know, they, they couldn't even tell me nothing aggressive you've done. They said things like I was a bully. A parent said that. He couldn't get a kid to say that at all. He's like, you're fine. It's going to blow over. I know these parents. And he did. He lived in the neighborhood. And he, co he taught at the middle school. He was the principal at the middle school that fed in, came up with those kids to high school. These kids had known this man like six years. Wow. Um, so he reassured me there was nothing. I started to get very uncomfortable because even though it was nothing, he started to do things that would look like he was sort of reprimanding me or watching me. Like my JV coach couldn't, I couldn't practice my varsity alone. What? Yeah. So I started to, you know, what? I started to look into some EEOC um, violations. Uh-huh. Um, because if the letter prompted this, they definitely bashed the football coach way worse than me, and this isn't happening to him. So I started to reach out to get some legal representation. Um, he started to do things like he would call me out of my practice. He would send someone to get me. He would keep me 30 minutes to look like I was being reprimanded. Um, and the worst thing came, it, it was just getting progressively worse. They what? They sent a letter to a parent of, there was an African girl on the team, Nigerian girl, and she was a freshman. She was really good. I put her on varsity. So someone sent an anonymous letter that, that I brought her to that school with me. What? Um, and yeah. This and is un, this is unreal. This. Oh, it was nuts. <laughs> I hope you are writing about this. This needs to be like, this is a movie, but go ahead. I wrote about it. Not for y'all entertainment, but this is a movie. Like I, I'm, I'm, this is stuff you hear about, but I can't believe I'm sitting here listening to this from you, knowing that you're telling the 100% truth. My lawyer either. She was like, oh my God, this is... So wrote a letter. Um, and so they had been spreading that rumor, but the parent wrote a letter to her parent in like support. I think Coach Newman is personally, strategically not playing your daughter the, the teen said she told them she wasn't. She's that, that, that. This parent had already come to me. Um, so th this parent had already kind of, we had some a little bit of small talk and she's just like, coach, I want you to be very careful. Um, you know, you got, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. And her daughter come to find out had gone, her first daughter had gone there two years ago, had a great experience with the volleyball program. They had gone to the state tournament. Mm -hmm. And they decided to move back to the neighborhood so the last daughter could get this experience. Um, right. Didn't know them at all. So the, the parent, being now being distrustful, she literally asked me to meet her off campus. She's like, I don't want anybody to see me meeting you. I mean, this is getting crazy. What? Meet her at a park, and she shows me the letter. 
and, and, and she's like, right away, she knew the letter was a lie. And she just warned me, you know, coach, this is, this is crazy. You need to be careful. She's like, you know, that, that my assistant that was on the staff, you know, to watch her, she definitely had something to do with it. It became a matter of the parents had so much pull there. The principal, the athletic director, who's the football coach, uh -huh. the lady under me, who was really my supervisor, they all started to go into protection mode once I got the EEOC involved in HR and literally huh. were kind of complicit in everything. Um, and she confirmed that to me. She's like, I'm telling you, you know. So I went through several emotions. You know, I could walk away from this, you know, and, and figure it out. I don't care. I don't deserve this. This is wrong. And I think I, I, I sat on that for a, uh, maybe a weekend. And I woke up and was like, no, nah, I'm going to finish. You know, you're not going to run me out, whatever, whatever. If you want to throw some games, it's the first time in school history they didn't go to playoffs. Wow. So, they, okay. They, long. they waited till about five games left. They had got a soccer coach fired two years before. The, the parents. And they told me, the football coach said, yeah, she was terrible. You know, you're great. I just, I don't know. This group just doesn't want to listen to you. You're amazing. She was terrible. She was a bad hire. The parents pushed and got her fired. They thought they were going to do it. They overloaded making up things. Mm -hmm. And um, they couldn't find anything. You know, it was like the, the principal, he would come to every game, even if it was far away. He was under that much pressure to find something. He'd stand a couple feet from the bench. He's like, coach, coaching passionate. And, and the kids were so smart. They would do subtle things that they know would cost us points. And what can I do? Can I yell at them? Because they've already lied and said that I'm aggressive. And I haven't been. I've been nothing but positive. So it, it was a lot. Um, my faith really uh, kept me um, going until the end of the season. And ultimately, those girls wasted an entire year because the adults failed them. The adults in their life yes. made them believe it was okay for you to just throw a year all in the name of firing a black coach who came there with a winning record. I went there 170 and 72. So you see, this is, let me breathe. <laughs> that was a lot. I'm gonna get my it listeners, is. take a chance to breathe, take it in. I've never, you know, I've never understood what it was with parents and their kids being involved in athletics and why the parents are so crazy. It makes me feel like one or two things, and you're in it, so you can tell me. One is either a projection because they weren't good enough or they weren't good at all, so they want their kid to be what they never were. Um, two, clearly, for you, in your case, it was personal. Um which I don't get. It's like, you're not going to give this person a chance based off of, once again, like we said earlier, how they look. Mm -hmm. oh, they just, they've only seen you. You had a winning record. You had the resume. You got hired because of your resume and what you've already, you've already proven yourself. So just because she's black, like, how stupid are you? Like, how stupid are y'all? Like, it's... <laughs> it was crazy. You don't get wow. an interview. You don't get an interview at this school if you're not good. I don't get an interview if I'm not sharp. I don't know if I would have lasted. I, mm -mm. I don't know <laughs> yeah. if I would have lasted. I don't think I would have lasted because I have very, I don't, I can't tolerate disrespect. And you mailing stuff to people, like you got my personal information out there. Now, one thing I do want to highlight that you did, and this is for the people coming up. If you're coming up, you're in college, 
If you have a job now, do not be afraid to fight for yourself. Do not be afraid to go to HR. Do not be afraid to get legal representation. That is how you protect yourself. Don't worry about people saying, oh, you a snitch and blah, blah, blah. Screw all of that. You need to protect yourself. You need to protect yourself because if something gets out of hand, that's going to be the first question people ask. Well, you didn't get an attorney. You didn't do this. Didn't You have to protect yourself. That's why HR and those things are in place to help protect you from things like this it didn't i mean it's not gonna necessarily stop everything but you have a, a legal basis to back you up in case things have to get escalated to the next level and i don't think enough of us do that i don't think enough of us use those resources to get the results that we want you can't take everything personal you can't show up to somebody's house and whoop their ass even though you might <laughs> want to Right. So I'm I'm very glad that you did that. You're you're setting a, a great example, but I I wish I had done it sooner, but at that point I'm a single parent. I've gotten to this point in my life because of my good name. And I had to fight for my good name. I mean, this was true slander. This is not a kid in the bleachers talking crap about you. This was people putting on paper, mailing through the US Postal Service complete lies. And so I, 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 you know, a couple of my friends uh, were huge support systems. I had some mentors crafting emails for me. And ultimately, the spring semester, because volleyball happens in the fall, no one said a word to me because it was like, whoa, mm. she's not playing. And ultimately, nothing happens to them. But it is on record that you've been accused of discrimination based on sex and gender. So, you know, I got my complaint on file Good. and, you know, it's kind of playing the long game. You know, hopefully they'll think twice about doing that to another person of color. Um, so I, I felt a lot better doing that. I should have done it at the first place, but we're really taught to be grateful. And, that, and that's what I talk about in my book. It's mm -hmm. like that was dream job for me suburban job it was down the road from where i grew up a lot of uh, my t uh, classmates had moved there once they came back from college and started families it was like the dream job you know and i was still in the mode of like i'm just grateful to get here you know i would go places people like you you're the volleyball coach like people would give me you know dad like all right sister and and I was like, you know what? This I'm in a. This is good. I'm doing something for the greater good. But it was so detrimental to my mental. It it, yeah. it really and truly was. It was painful and it was really really lonely. And even if I did get up the courage to talk to somebody about it, they made me feel like I was totally making it up. No one could relate. Right. It was no one could relate because there just were so few you know when i meet somebody now i can tell them based on where they work what complaints and what what tactics people are using i'm like oh this is happening over there they're like how do you know because i already been there mm. <laughs> so hopefully i got out of coaching that year i made up my mind i knew that why i really got into coaching i wanted to be what a coach was for me i was low income low resources. A coach was like a parent away from home, yes, a counselor. Yes. And because I shot out of the gate and secured a pretty good job, I kind of stayed in that affluent sector because it had more resources instead of working with kids who were low income, which was where I felt my impact would have been most useful. So I made up my mind then that, and I hate to categorize a group that 
it was not a passion of mine to coach volleyball to affluent kids who can afford ridiculous amounts of training. I wanted to go coach where kids couldn't get quality training because they couldn't afford it and coaches didn't have access to quality uh, leadership training and all that. So I created Grit and Grind Athletics and I only target resource areas. Grit and Grind Athletics. Wait, you didn't tell us about the, the order, the training order. Oh, so just the, the parent. Um, a parent, um, after a game, she didn't like an offensive system I was running. And she's cussing, cussing, cussing. And I don't see it because I don't, you know, when you start coaching, you ignore bleachers. Right. I go and shake the visiting coach's hand. Well, I'm at her school. I shake her hand, give her a hug. She's a sister. So, you know, we always hug it up. And she whispers, coach, don't leave yet. You have an angry parent waiting at the door. She was cussing and clowning the entire game. I said, are you kidding me? I start to see a principal walking up from that school as well. She's like, hang tight. My principal's going to walk you out. Oh, going to walk me out. <laughs> There's a woman, middle-aged lady, oh, pacing, white lady, pacing the door. She's got a scene going. She's talking about how incompetent I am and we should be running this system. She is a crowd, not one resource officer. And there were two was moving the crowd out, which we know doesn't happen at a brown and black school. Right. Crowds are not allowed to form at brown and black, especially sporting events. I know this for a fact. Yeah. They are standing there watching this. I am, I mean, I am literally feel myself sweating, get like, I'm at my job where right. I'm the ultimate professional. Somebody's waiting at the door to fight me. Like I survived the neighborhood, stray dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Not the stray dogs. <laughs> Bullies on the bus stop. You know, the, yeah. hood is, or the hood is kids. I weaseled my way out of being bullied. And there's somebody way out of shape, sitting at home, non-athlete, literally at my job, taunting and threatening to kick my tail. And they're letting her decide when she wants to leave. So I'm pacing the floor. A resource officer is by now talking to me. Coach, you're fine. I just want to walk. You know, I'm not even trying to hear this dude. Right. Like, why are you talking to me? Go do your job and make this lady leave or put her in handcuffs. That crowd gets to disperse on its own. I am boiling, boiling, boiling. I mean, the tears is running down my face. Like I've, I've never had to be escorted out by police. Right. And, and um, whether for my protection or to jail. Um, and I go in my car and I, I, I don't remember who I called, but this is, I'm, I'm at my peak with this. This is, this is dangerous. By now I have a two year old, you know, I have a two year old daughter. Like, mm -hmm. Somebody just tried to kick my butt over a volleyball game. Right. And so uh, Monday morning, I was at that city's police because I lived a couple of towns over, like a 45-minute drive. Um, so I filed a protective order. It was very loose. They kind of BS me at the station. Again, everybody knows everybody in that town. Her husband had a really, really good job in that town. Oh, and basically, I contact the school police. I let them know they hadn't even heard. The local PD hadn't even got it to them. 
And so I didn't know if that woman was going to be waiting for me after work. You know, they know what car I drove. Right. They were not moving on it. I called the sheriff's office. You know, now police officers are trying to wait in my practice, walk me to my car. Every school we went to, they provided an extra resource officer. Um, and I could see people looking at me like, you know, I was overblowing it. You know what I mean? No. Somebody's no. trying to fight me at my job. Exactly. A parent is trying to fight me over amateur sports. Um, and I could see the looks like, you know, I'm costing you some resources. And, and you know, by now I'm older and wiser. I could care less. I'm Listen, I'm going to overdo it. My friends are coming to the games, sitting behind the bench. Like, I wish one of y'all would say something to my friend. I mean, I had to call out the squad. My uncle, he came and sat. He's like, I'm not playing around. He got into it with a group of dads. We had a great record, but we had a great um, history of sports before she got here. He's like, check her resume. She was a great winning coach before she got here. It's her first losing season in a couple of years. Um, it was awful. And in the final blow, I was at work and a special ed kid not taking her medicine tried to attack me. Uh -huh. um, she uh, was bipolar, schizophrenic, and she was mixing it with a cocktail of drugs not prescribed. And she literally uh, went off on me, cornered me. It was a game day. The principal gave me permission to leave. Well, my, they had moved me classrooms that week and the phone didn't work in the classroom. Oh. So now I've added special ed, you on my hit list. I'm coming for you. Y'all are playing with my life over here. Um, it, it was the worst year ever. I, and so that day we had a game. The principal told me I could leave. He said, leave. I am pacing. I'm upset. I barely got away from this kid. This, and this kid is the size of an adult, you know, a much older kid, bigger in stature. I mean, this wasn't a going to be a small takedown. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but there was going to be a takedown because that was it. Take her down. She was going down. Yeah. I'm sorry, y'all. And we're not advocating for those of you. We're not advocating violence against kids. But what she's talking about is very real. And I mean, you're lucky that you have some size on you. But yes, me I, being I, in the education field, there's a lot of small, frail women. And these kids are big. Like, sixth graders are big. Yes. Like, some of my kids in elementary school are close to my size. And I'm 5'10", 230. And some of them are my size. And it's like, oh, it's just a kid. Yeah, that kid can still whoop your ass, believe it or not, okay? And they'll try. They yeah. bold enough to try. I go, I meet my team at the school. By now they've heard what happened. And we get underway with the game. On game day, I had a routine of my, my great aunt would watch my daughter. But I she didn't drive anymore. I would Uber her to my daughter's daycare, Uber her back home. Okay which was very close proximity. I forgot. It's 6.45. My uncle's at the game, my bodyguard. Mm -hmm. He whispers to my assistant. I turn around. He's like, what happened to Zuri? Zuri's, he's mumbling something. And my heart immediately drops. I had not made the phone call. My day was that overwhelming. Yeah. And I get into beast mode. The daycare calls. They realize I live two miles from it. They take her in the daycare van. They're fine. Yeah. I am mortified and embarrassed because this is super irresponsible. My kid was there till like 730. His daycare was great to me. I totally was, you know, was just disappointed. And I felt guilty. Like, I, my, I'm my kid's only parent. I'm a single parent. And I left her at daycare. And I rode home 
crying. And I was like, something has to give. And I knew I was done. I, I, I literally, it, I, I wasn't winning. Like, this is not winning. And I finished that school year out, met the most amazing co-teacher. We're great friends today. She inspired the title. Um, the title grateful and greedy she would all we would always when we would complain we would say be grateful be be grateful or greedy basically ask ourselves you know hey this is going on but am i going to be grateful mm-hmm. or i'm going to be greedy mm-hmm. and on upon reflecting about how i'd even got that far in my life it's like i can be grateful and greedy <laughs> and so she inspired the title her name's melody white She's from Florida. She has had been a teacher for 20 years. The most amazing person, the little bright spot, my spiritual advisor, homegirl, mother that year. And she's like, you do not deserve this. Um, so she was the bright spot and she definitely inspired the, the, the title, but I got out. And I'm like, I'm done with coaching other than doing camps and clinics to kids who absolutely need my resources. Um, Not going to be dealing with parents. They're going to be super appreciative that I am giving of myself, uh, you know, and giving professional affordable services. I'm not going to be dealing with parents, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't want to show up, you don't want to do this. I don't know what I'm talking about. Don't come, right? (laughs) And my friend calls me who happens to be my old teammate. She's the head coach at Prairie View. The program had not been doing well. And her coach left and went to high school. God bless her heart. She can have that. And she asked me, you know, would I be interested? It was going to be a literally 60% pay cut. And like I said, I... I, Wait a minute. I did not not look for another teaching job. I did not know how I was going to make a living. But I had a feeling that I was supposed to be doing something else. So I took that job and it was a great transition. There were some bumps in there. You're dealing with college age kids. And we literally, they, they had finished seventh place the year before. We finished second place, wound up in the SWAC championship. Eventually we lost um, and literally got it turned around in one year. It was super rewarding. Um, Super rewarding because I went there. Um, she was my good friend and teammate. We hadn't been good since she and I played. Um, so it, I had a fairy tale year after a real nightmare. Yes. Really. Um. Wow. You're, yeah. Okay. I. <laughs> I have to take some of this in. Whoa. Um. I feel like this is really long, right? like i'm talking too long no this is this is what I, you know what's funny everybody says that to me and it's like that's what you're here for like i don't have guests on for y'all not to talk like people need to hear this because there's someone out there that's been through or that's going through what you're going through and what you've been through and they haven't made it to where you are yet so they need to know that there's light at the end of the tunnel you're you're good trust me you're good oh. if they don't want to listen they can pause and then come back tomorrow and finish the rest of the episode okay that's what you, I tell people. Yes, you said something great there. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Once you start defining winning or success or your life for yourself, there's light. You know what I mean? It's my every day is light for me. You know, stuff can happen in setbacks. It never nothing has ever gotten as dark as it did with that. 
with, with, with coaching high school in that, those periods of time. It, it never gets that dark. And I, I make significantly less money and I am significantly more happy and fulfilled with what it is that I do. Um, people, don't understand, <laughs> people don't understand that, that money, money can assist with happiness, but it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not the be all end all of you don't, it, it's a feeling, man. Like a big part of happiness is how you feel. And it's funny you said that. Cause I have a high, I had a high school teacher a white lady. She was real cool. And someone, I, I think it was me or someone in my class asked the one day, like, what did you used to do? Because, you know, you said you, you just started teaching. She was like, oh, I was an attorney. And we we're like, didn't you make a lot of money? She was like, yeah, I was making, you know, six figures. And we were like, you left that to be here with us? Like, we weren't treating her bad. But I know we gave her some headaches some days. And she was like, I wasn't happy. And she was like, but being here with y'all every day, y'all jokes, y'all do get on my nerves. But she was like. I'm happy here with you all. Like you all just give me a fulfillment that I wasn't getting at my other job. And now that I'm sitting here as an adult, I'm like, dang, you got a whole law degree and went back to teach high school. Ooh, <laughs> crazy. Yeah. And I still love working with kids. I started to, you know, they, they tell us that sports teaches you life lessons. I don't think that me being the decision maker in their life in terms of sports and their coach. I don't think this generation could see the life lessons or receive it from the coach. It, it because you unless you know decisions you made were positive for them. So you know, I was teaching life lessons and we were doing character talks and I was walking upright before them like, "Hey, I, I need to be a, an example." And and so I, you know, Tone down my life. My friends were still kicking it, you know, living free. I was like, I'm a teacher and a coach. I can't be out here like this. Right. Um, I still love working with kids, but I think that I would serve them better in a different realm than public school. I, I just do. My business targets high school age kids, okay. but I'm strategic about them because I don't want to waste my time because my time should be dedicated to my kid. So I can't afford to go get involved in a project that I'm fighting you tooth and nail to get something out of. And that's just where I'm at in my life. I have the stamina for it at 24. I, hey, I'm gonna shut this down your throat. I got the stamina for, I'm a, you know what I mean? But now it's like, hey, I, I cannot afford to go play tug of war with somebody's kid about teaching them character and ethics when I need to be devoting my energy to my kids. So, like I said, I target kids who they are so appreciative, like I was when I was a kid, mm -hmm. to be getting, to, for somebody to be investing in their future, in their goals. So that's what I, that's what I target with my business. And the same with coaches, um, new coaches, young coaches, they get in the business. I do consultations with them. Um, it took me years, years to come up with some of the methods, training, and my philosophy. And I was really scared that all the time I took to put that together, it was going to go to waste. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, I'm going to give it away. I'm going to give it to somebody. I'm going to put it somewhere. And, and I was super brainiac. Got drill books and this and that. And I was like, where is this stuff going to go? I couldn't have just did it for not. And I thought, I'm going to coach coaches. or I'm, You know what I mean? Overachiever. So, <laughs> overachieve I, I hear the overachievement I'm trying to get some of that over here let me get some of that let me get some of that um tell us about 
because I don't want to keep you. I'm good, but I don't want to keep you. So grateful and greedy. Tell us about the book. What is this book about? When is it coming? Can you tell us when it's coming out? Yes. So the book is on pre-order right now on the website. We'll get to that. Okay. Um, book is a memoir slash self-help book. Um, again, wanted to be able to go back into high schools and colleges and talk to kids. I knew that a book would give me better leverage. I wanted to kind of compile everything, all my little nuggets, experiences, takeaways, uh, my Tamika-isms and put them in something. Uh, I also wanted to do it to leave a legacy, you know, for my daughter. Um, so when COVID hit, I had been uh, following this guy who does publishing and he had a post that said, everybody has a book in them. Mm. And it just kind of resonated with me. And, and, you know, I was like, so I've got a message, you know, what's my message? What, what can I say I've learned in 34 years? And uh, how can I put this in a book and make it relatable to somebody and solve some problems for them? And COVID hit and I literally said, I had been running around for 12 years. I really had. I've been running around since I was a teen because I wanted to do everything. I didn't know what I wanted to be, but I wanted to be somebody so bad. Not <laughs> right. I was in everything. I was a busy kid and we were poor. I took care of every free resource there was, including free summer school when I was in elementary school. I went to school year round. Mm. So I was like, I haven't got to sit down in forever. Prairie View sent us home. Coaches, you know, our job's on our phone recruiting. They, they, they put us in a dead period. You couldn't really recruit. We had already planned ahead our spring and fall schedule, uh, me and the head coach. We were so far ahead. We had nothing to do. I was like, I'm going I'm to write a book. And he had a 90-day book writing program. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I overachiever. I'm like, I'm doing it in 90 days. <laughs> and got going. I wrote 16 days straight. Uh, had a schedule, put a schedule in place for my daughter, wrote a couple hours in the morning, couple hours in the evening while I watched her play, a couple hours at night. Uh, I was super motivated, laser focused. Took a week off and then it went down to an hour to a day, but I completed the book, my my part of the book. I, you know, the book had to go into the editing process uh -huh. in four months. So still a great, a great feat. Um, yes. and Big shout out to the guy. His program was like, you follow it, you're going to have a book. Um, and then I just started to market the book and the book experience. My grandmother, she passed in December. Um, Sorry, she sorry. actually, uh, she had a heart attack um, December 18th. And oh. I went, um, thank you. I went to a professional development for college administrators in Atlanta like the 16th through the 17th. And she watched my daughter for me. And my grandma does not watch kids because she raised so many. Right. <laughs> um, that's my grandmother. You know, she was all in till she was all out. She watched my daughter. And had I stayed one more day, my daughter would have been in the bed with her when she died of a heart attack. Um, so after she died, it kind of, me and my, my siblings say, um, we kind of post pre her death. And then there's our life post her death. It, it kind of reset my clock um, after her death. And I, I really was like, I'm not going to linger on stuff. I'm going to get stuff done and I'm going to be courageous and, and whatever. 
And um, it represented a safety net leaving. Even though I've been extremely independent since I left for college, I, I never went back after college. And um, it just kind of like, hey, you, you got to go do this. You got to go all out. And my grandmother had kind of reinvented her life. She, had, she was in an abusive marriage. And she literally like, um, along with my help, she was like, reinvented herself. We would go on vacations. Uh, oh, she's nice. Coolest grandmother ever. Um, so yeah, I was motivated to write the book, and I, I talk about her starting me on the path of being an overachiever, uh, starting me on the path of being grateful. Um, when we were kids, my grandmother made us recite a verse every day for like a year. This is the day the Lord has made. We should be um, great, glad, and thankful, or something. And uh, my brothers hated it. I said it loud and proud. <laughs> Why the boys always hate it? <laughs> they mumbled something and she accepted it. I'm like, they ain't even saying it right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's that low standard. The girls got to be up here and boys just barely get by. And <laughs> I said it loud and proud. I probably was third grade, eight or nine. And uh, it, it, it got, and I could look around me. I, you know, I wasn't in a traditional family setting, being raised by my grandparents, house full of people. I could look around me and see that I should be grateful. So I've always looked at life through a lens of gratitude. Um, but by the same token, I've always been like, this is what you're giving me. Thank you. It's great. I got to go make this more. Um, and, that, and that's that greedy element. And then as it. an adult, I just think I got away from it. I, when I get my eyes set on something, sometimes I don't, I, I'm unable to see blind spots. And I'm just focusing now on seeing those blind spots and, and number one, getting super eager all in about what I'm passionate about. Yes. And that's really where true impact happens. I was trying to be impactful, but I was trying to be so intentional. And, and so I'm just so grateful to be here and to help you and to serve you that I really wasn't serving myself yeah, yeah. greater good. And so that's really what the title is about is, and I, and I talk about winning because I have a sports background, but success, you know, whatever word you want to, positive word um, or end goal you have, you can you can put it in place of that. But to, to I'm asking everybody, go and to ch stop and check yourself. This thing I'm aspiring to be or to do or to attain, is it because I really want that? Is that really going to fulfill me? Or is it because somebody said this is what it looks like to win? This is what it looks like to be a successful parent or coach or so in every aspect preaching. of my life. You preaching yeah. right now. You are talking. <laughs> I've been saying the same thing for the past few years. I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. You just, mm, you just, you hit something right here in the heart. <laughs> and, and and a good sign of that for me was if this is supposed to be, if, if this is what I'm supposed to be doing, there's no way I've got this level of anxiety. Feel like I'm gonna have a stroke at 27. You know, right. I used to joke, I'm definitely gonna have a stroke before 30. Like opening email where I know I might be called every name in the book because I didn't play. Ashley Jones last night. Mm -hmm. I mean, my my heartbeat is increasing because I'm like, here we go. You know, it's yeah. just constant displeasure. It was like the goalposts kept moving. So that that's what the book is about. 
I think that young professionals are going to find it super duper useful. Um, mothers, um, you know, as a single parent, I obviously didn't see myself being a single parent. And, uh, you know, society's probably going to tell me there's only so far I can go being a single parent, you know, but I'm not trying to hear that. <laughs> of course not. You can't. You can't. You got You got You have even bigger shoes to fill because you have to set an example for her. Yes. So with that, I want to thank you for joining us. Tell us where, tell them where they can follow you, where they can find your book. I'll also put this in the description as well. All right. So you can shop the book or just subscribe to my newsletter at TamikaNewman.com. That's T-A-M-I-K-A-N-E-W-M-A-N. You can follow me on Instagram at Tamika.R.Newman underscore G-G-A. Um, so between those two places, you can get in contact with me. Um, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining Thank us. You. This was great. <laughs> I can talk all day, but that's because I'm a coach. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that you had so much to share, so much to give to our listeners. Um, I didn't even need to ask you the, the last question I usually ask people is what, what, um, you know, words of wisdom do you have for people coming up but you've already shared enough i mean you you've given them all that they needed in your interview and i wish you the best i'll follow you now you follow me so you're gonna see my crazy world on instagram <laughs> i'm looking forward to it you're a teacher so i already know I'm, you're gonna give me some good commentary yeah, yeah i will i will so thank you again for joining us and we'll definitely keep in touch and you thank you so much this is great this is awesome super comfortable just everyday experiences i i love it thank you well, thank you I, I aim to please and keep my guests happy now you listeners out there thank you all for your continued support you already know you can follow us fme underscore podcast join the facebook group from my experience podcast i'll accept you maybe no i'm just kidding i'll accept you <laughs> If you want to be a guest <laughs> or if you have a recommended guest, feel free to shoot us a DM or hit us up, fmepodcast1 at gmail.com. And you all make sure you take care of yourselves mentally, physically, and financially. And we will see y'all next time. Peace. <laughs>